This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Man Cup continues on in New Westminster and the Bellies have a 2-1 series lead heading into Tuesday night's Game 4. The National Lacrosse League entry draft goes Monday from the Toronto Rock Athletic Centre. Mike Board of the Calgary Roughnecks has the third pick. We'll talk to him about Monday's events. And the Philadelphia Wings are maybe coming back. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, two super, super simple ways. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on the Twitter box at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. Roll across show. Uh, it's just me and Bear in the studios again. Uh, here at Zone Control in Victoria, B.C. A little cool out here these days, which is allowing for cooler temperatures over in New Westminster as the Man Cup rages on. And we will go in-depth with that series from my very own brain, having watching um, all three games so far in this series and doing some game reports uh, for the Western Lacrosse Association. Um, and a fantastic Fantastic series so far. Uh, three for three. The games have been great. Uh, overtime, a big win by New West, uh, and then the seesaw battle in game three. Who knows what game four will have in store. We'll talk more about the Man Cup in a few minutes. As mentioned, the National Lacrosse League draft is on Monday. Buffalo goes number one. Rochester goes number two. Calgary number three. Those first two picks are pretty much penciled in already. Josh Byrne, Zach Courier, 1-2. Unless something really strange happens, which I don't foresee happening, but you never know. I don't think Steve Dietrich's going to pass up on Josh Byrne. Um, Everybody knows. Ryan Banesh shipped out to Colorado. They need a left-hander. It's a perfect fit. And I don't see why they wouldn't take him. Zach Courier is a fantastic talent. Buffalo wouldn't go wrong in selecting him. I just don't think they can pass up Byrne. And when that happens, Courier will fall to Rochester and he will be reunited with his brother, Josh. So Zach and Josh will not only play for the Peterborough Lakers together, they will most likely be playing for the Rochester Nighthawks together. And then that takes us to the third pick in the Calgary Roughnecks. And that pick will start the unknown because from that point on with this being not the deepest of drafts, we could see any number of players go from the third pick on down. Guys' stocks have risen and fallen. Players have made names for themselves during these summer playoffs. A guy like Drew Belgrave's stock has to have risen. Obviously, Zach Courier's stock was pretty high, but... Just watching him play this summer, especially in the Man Cup, uh, he just continues to impress. Everybody knows what Josh Byrne can do. But as we'll hear from Mike Board, this not being the deepest of drafts, maybe teams won't focus on team needs, but just in taking the best player. And with expansion on the horizon, that could definitely change things as well, depending on how teams want to draft. Stockpiling youth, trading for picks, 
trying to get veterans. Who knows? I kind of have a feeling we might see some trades um, for picks. I was talking with the Lack Sportsnet crew uh, the other day and, and mentioned that I thought maybe Georgia might move some of their picks. Uh, I would love to see Colorado try and get up into the first round, even into the second round. Uh, they don't pick until, I think, uh, the what's that, the 27th pick or something like that overall. I'm just pulling it up here. Do, 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 do. Wrong draft, 2017. Um, yeah, Colorado doesn't pick to the 22nd overall pick. So it's the second pick in the third round. Calgary has two, the number three and the number 11. Rochester has three, number two, five, and six. And Georgia has three, number four, seven, and nine. Throw in two picks from New England at eight and ten. And that pick, those two picks at the top by Buffalo and Rochester. And there's your first round. If you head over to uh, Isle Indoor slash Inside Lacrosse, both places take the same spot. Um, you will find Steven Stamps, mock drafts, player profiles, um, risers and fallers, all those good types of things. Uh, he is heavily in depth. Uh, or you can just go to um, swarmitup.com. Uh, that is where I get all my entry draft info from. Uh, they do such a great job. Um, it's just a fantastic little encyclopedia for anything you need draft-wise in the National Lacrosse League. Um, rosters, draft participants, draft orders, all those things. Just go to swarmitup.com, uh, and the Colonel has everything you need in regards to NLL drafts. So once again, goes Buffalo, Rochester, Calgary, Georgia, Rochester back-to-back, then Georgia again, New England, then Georgia, and then New England, and then Calgary. And that's your first round draft. It's a pretty interesting draft. Just the amount of picks, you know, teams have Rochester and Georgia have three. New England has three. Calgary has, sorry, New England had, and Calgary have two. And then Buffalo and Rochester with those single picks at the top of the draft. Here's a question. What would you give up to get that number one pick? Not that Buffalo would do anything but use that pick. But is there a player out there right now that would be available and optionable for a number one pick? We saw Adam Jones go for two first-rounders. We've seen guys like Ryan Benash and Sean Williams, all those guys traded for first-rounders in the past. Ethan Iannucci, Paul Rabel. But I don't think anybody can offer Buffalo or Rochester anything right now that would make them change their mind about using one of those top two picks. Now, after Georgia and Rochester select four, five, and six, maybe then we start to see some trades. Um, Again, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if you see Georgia move that number nine pick. Um, New England got the number eight pick from Saskatchewan. Uh, They also have the 10 pick. I wouldn't mind seeing them. Maybe trade one of those, get into the 2018 draft. Maybe there is a team like Colorado, as I said, that wants to move up. So while this isn't a very deep draft talent-wise, 
I think it could be a very interesting draft pick or draft for picks because, as we said, expansion coming up, having picks and having stockpile of youth is a huge thing. So it'll be interesting to see how Monday's draft goes about. Again, uh, you can go to NLL.com for more draft information. Uh, the Combine starts Friday, or sorry, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the ALL boys are going to be playing a scrimmage before the Combine gets going. There's a ton of events going on. And then, of course, the draft goes Monday night. And you can watch all of that on NLL TV. Most likely, Josh Byrne, then Zach Courier, and then it's a toss-up. Spoke with Mike Board, general manager of the Calgary Roughnecks earlier in the day just to talk about uh, the draft and the offseason for the Roughnecks GM as it's the first time since the team came into the league back in 2002 that they did not make the playoffs. So there's a lot of work to be done. The move of Jeff Shatler, expansion looming, and maybe some pressure from an ownership group to see this organization back into the postseason. Mike Board is a busy man. Caught up with him after a charity golf tournament in Calgary. And the first question I asked him was, how has his summer been? It's been good. Uh, we've had great weather in Calgary, so uh, it's, been a, it's been a good summer. Um, you know, saw lots of lacrosse, and uh, we're ready to get, uh, get the season started. Well, with the National Lacrosse Draft uh, just six days away, you guys are sitting in the, the third spot. And with everybody kind of already penning in one and two, people are wondering, what direction you're going to go. And I'm sure you're not going to tell us here now, but um, obviously there's some prospects out there that you guys have your eyes on. What's the biggest need, do you think, for the Roughnecks in this draft? Well, I mean, honestly, we're we're looking at everything. We were a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, and and so we've got lots of areas to improve on. And, you know, I mean, we're we're going to wait and see how the – the cards fall and, and, uh, and probably, you know, draft the best athlete available, you know, take the best player available and, and, uh, and see where, see where that takes us. Is that kind of the mentality you think of, of most general managers in this draft because it isn't maybe the strongest draft that, uh, you just take what's best out there? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, it's something you might get at, you know, three or four, you might, you know, might get the same kind of player at, uh, you know, 1920 kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, uh, breakage between the, 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 the guys sort of after one, two kind of thing. Right. Um, so, you know, you can kind of look around and, <clears throat> and see what you got. We've got one, uh, we've got another pick at 11. So, you know, you can start, you know, depending on what you get at three and take a look at what you get at 11 and, and, uh, and see how it shakes out. How does expansion play into your mentality of drafting this year? Um, you know what? I think because we didn't make the playoffs, uh, yeah. that we, you know, we're we're wanting to get back to the playoffs, so we're not as concerned about it right now. And we'll we'll deal that with uh, with the expansion draft and all those kind of things and protection lists and things like that once once we know where that's headed. So uh, we've kind of gone about it as business as usual. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. Um, you've got to, you've still got to be careful because you're going to have guys that, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to protect. So you want to, yeah. you want to, you want to, you want to balance that, but at the same time, you don't want to harm your, what, what, what you put on the floor just because you got expansion coming up. You guys might be in one of the toughest positions with that expansion. Obviously they haven't initialized the final numbers yet, but most look like it'll be 11 and one or, or 10 and two. But, uh, do you guys, 
have is this going to be a year for Del Bianco or Shiliano to really rise to the occasion and see who wants that spot for you guys? Yeah, I think so. I think that's uh, bang on. And yeah. you know, like we won't make uh, make a decision on who's staying and who's going uh, until you know until next after. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like we're, we we want to see what these guys. They're both young. Yeah, of course. Um, so you know, we 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 expect teams will be expect teams will be looking at them, and you know, we'll uh, we'll play it by ear. You know, we'd love to be able to keep both of them, and yeah. maybe we can work deals to keep both of them. But uh, you know, if you can't, then we you you really want one or the other to to step forward, and you know that you're making the right decision. With the loss of Jeff Shatler, now kind of some weight gets put on onto some of the other guys that that haven't been able to rise up on that lefty shooter side. But um, that's a big hole for you to guys fill for you guys to fill, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we've been. It's funny because I think we've been trying to do this for like three years, is find a, yeah. a top notch lefty, and uh, and uh, here we are doing it again. So uh, you know, I mean, <clears throat> Jeff moving on was. Uh, it was kind of something we expected, but uh, you know, if we weren't, uh, we weren't. So I guess we weren't surprised. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, we at one point thought Austin Stats was in the draft, and there's Josh Burns, so there's a little more depth on the left side. Yeah. But uh, there's still some good lefties in that draft, and uh, I'm pretty sure by the time the, the draft's done, we'll have uh, picked a couple of them anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you've talked about missing the playoffs. How much has that sat with your organization? Is something you guys want to rectify right away? Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's the number one priority. Um, you know, I think we've been a team that's shown when we get to the playoffs, we can do some damage. And, mm-hmm. you know, missing was kind of like uh, it was the, the old proverb, you know, like we missed the dance. So we got to get mm-hmm. back to the dance. And, uh, you know, I don't, it's not a – we do want to get back to the playoffs, but it's not a, um, it's not like we have to go win a championship. I know we want to win a championship, but let's focus on getting us, you know, one step at a time and, and getting back in the playoffs and seeing what happens. With the season starting in December this year, it adds some more time to the season, but also spreads the season out to avoid some of those double headers. Are you happy as a general manager adding that extra month and starting a little bit earlier? Yeah, I actually I don't mind it. Um, we were one of the teams we played. Like I, I think we played sort of. I, know, I think we played 17 games in 15 weeks, kind of thing. So right. um, it was it was tough. We had some tough travel, so I don't mind that. And then the the other side of that is is as expansion happens, we're going to need some more time to play things too. And, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we can shorten up that season a little bit. Um, you know, like if we started earlier, we can end it earlier. So it's not crossing over into some of the, the field stuff and, yeah. and summer stuff. So, so I think there's some options. So, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how it works this year. I, I, I honestly, I don't mind doing it, uh, doing it a month early. Do you guys think being, um, you know, like with the Calgary sports group, just like Denver is, and just like Buffalo is, do you think that helps you guys in arena dates where some other teams might have some issues? Um, it can, certainly we're in a better position than, uh, yeah. than other teams. I mean, uh, you know, I look at Toronto where they kind of have to wait for dates from, you know, Maple Leaf Sports Corp, right? So right, yeah. it's, it, you know, they don't, at least I have a bit of a voice in the room. I mean, the NHL dictates and the WHL is here too, mm-hmm. but I can at least go to somebody in the building and say, okay, we need to have a couple of these dates and they, yeah. they can, we can work with them where I don't think the teams that uh, that don't own and operate their own buildings uh, have yeah, that advantage. Sure. 
obviously the news of the past couple of weeks has been expanded with San Diego and, and the, expand, the the news of Philadelphia going to be announced on Thursday. Uh, what are your general thoughts on expansion and the direction that Commissioner Nick Sakevich has us all going? Uh, you know what? I, I like it. I think, um, I think what's happening is the owner, the ownership groups that are coming in are ticking off a lot of boxes. So mm-hmm. I think the NLL had gone through some expansion before that was unsuccessful. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of vetting and, and the, the right kind of things are happening. And I think the right owners are coming in. Um, you know, you get Josiah and San Diego and Comcast probably in Chile. And yeah. like it's, it's kind of what you want. Um, you know, People with uh, the kids that have the wherewithal to stay with the league, and and uh, I, you know, I, I think we're going in the right direction, and uh, I hope there's I hope there's a little more. I, my my big concern is we don't want to expand too fast because I'm yeah. not sure the talent pool is there enough. But yeah. um, you know, if you did two a year and then you know another one and then two or something along those lines, I think you're probably you know we're probably going to be okay. Uh, the question that I've been asked uh, most recently since the Philadelphia announcement. Uh, is there going to, or do you expect or foresee a change in the playoff format or the number of teams that make it in as we start to grow? Yeah, I think there would be. Um, but I think what, uh, you know, what we want to do is take a look at, at expansion step by step and sort of right, see yeah. what the divisions look like and then sort of figure out where we want to go. I mean, you get to a, uh, you know, a 12 team league or something like that and you probably want to have eight in the playoffs, right? Yeah. You want to have. Yeah. Those kind of things, maybe um, you know, we'll see how it goes with this first stretch. But I know, uh, I know there is discussion about it, so it's it's one of the things that we we definitely have to look at. Obviously, make your focus is this weekend. Uh, you and your crew will be out at the, the combine all week at the Toronto Rock Athletic Center. How how much weight do you put on this combine, and, and do you expect some guys maybe to shine? Uh, actually, I do. I mean, I looked at some of the. Uh, some of the kids have signed up for the combine this year, and it's actually mm-hmm. it's an impre- it's actually a pretty good list compared to some previous years. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I I saw Nick Tarkovsky play out in uh, New West for the junior team. He's going to the combine, um, so there's some there's some quality players going to that that uh, that combine. Colin Watkinson's going. There's there's some good players going to the combine, which you know some of that hasn't happened over the last couple of years so uh, mm-hmm. this combine actually is uh, I, i'm pretty sure you're going to see some guys drafted that are at the combine that are going to get drafted you guys start saturday september 9th in rochester uh, it'll be the earliest start for the national cross league how com- much more work do you guys have to do with the compressed lead up to the season uh you know what it's a lot <laughs> actually we uh it's funny i'm i'm laughing but it, it we i was kind of anticipating it but yeah. once it's kind of hit, then you've got to hit the ground running and get your your training camp planned and your. We had some options, so yeah, just kind of rolled them out and put them in place. But uh, you start scrambling, got to make sure the equipment and jerseys and all those kind of things are are right on target, right? So um, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes b- beforehand, and then uh, you know I had we had let some of our like most of our players know that hey, there could be an early start to the season, so begin your workouts earlier, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. So they're, they, I think most of the teams did the same thing. So the players will be ready for uh, for training camp. There's Mike Borg, general manager of the Calgary Roughnecks. Expect most teams' camps to get going in just over a month and a half or so. Uh, there are rumors that some teams are going to start uh, the middle of October, and with a December ninth kickoff to the season. You know that's only a month and a half out if these start. 
at that point in time. And with uh, the PLPA always keeping track of how many practices teams can have and how many weekends teams can be together, there's not going to be a lot of time for these general managers and teams to put guys through work. When I talked with Dan Carey the other day, uh, he mentioned to me that they weren't going to be bringing a lot of guys into camp just because of the shortened training camp that they have every year. They want to bring in the core group of guys and then maybe a handful of others to really push for positions. You're not going to see a lot of teams bringing in 40, 50-plus guys. Sure, some teams may do it. That's always sort of been Doug Locker's MO the past few years is bring in as many guys as you can, see if you can find any diamonds in the rough, have an open training camp, uh, see if any guys can progress on from there. And who knows, maybe you can find a guy that'll walk on to your team. Find a guy that you can use as a depth player as the year goes on. So expect teams to kind of start to get the ball rolling once November kind of, or once October kind of gets going. And that's just crazy to me to think about, that December 9th, like we're less than three months away from the start of the season already. That's fantastic. NFL's on. Man Cup's just about to finish up. Baseball playoffs, and then boom. You'll be right in a training camp, preseason games, and before you know it, it's going to be December 9th, and we're going to have our opening games. We've talked about the schedule a little bit. Um, There are still some back-to-backs for teams. I think there's about five or six teams that actually have back-to-backs, including uh, the Saskatchewan Rush, who continue to have to do a Colorado then-home weekend. Probably one of the toughest back-to-backs to make, even though they're not very far apart. It's made tougher because of the flight schedule and generally have to flying through Minnesota-St. Paul. And then on game days, they usually don't get in until about 4 o'clock local time in Saskatchewan. So um, it's not perfect, but with the extended season, as you heard Mike Board say, with expansion coming, that extended season will allow for more teams, um, but that will just mean busier weekends and more doubleheaders when teams come into play. So um, it's not perfect, but some people are fans of it, others aren't. I'm indifferent. I can't say that I'm angry about the start in December. I can't say that I'm happy about it. Um, But, again, a working model. They're going to try to figure things out and make it the best as possible. Uh, Bordy even said that maybe when teams come in, they do shorten that schedule to get away from overlapping with the MLL or NCAA. So uh, things to come, but we won't really know a lot of that stuff, obviously, until next year when Philadelphia and San Diego become officially official on a schedule, that is. And who knows? Maybe there will be a more an, another team. There could be a third team coming. Marissa and Jemmy uh, continues to be on this scoop, and she was on it from months ago. And she was right about San Diego. She was right about Philadelphia. And she's she's mentioned Miami and Halifax as possible other additions to the National Lacrosse League. I'm not a fan of either. Um, I think going too far south into Florida uh, didn't work the first time with Orlando. I don't think Miami uh, will be a much better fit. 
uh, and I'm just not sold on Halifax uh, as a market right now, maybe down the road, but not as a pro-level team at this moment. Again, Mike Board said it. Two teams is good right now. Let's stay the course here. Let's build the player pool. Let's let these two teams get their feet wet. Let's focus on um, stabilizing Vancouver, stabilizing Georgia, making sure everything's tickety-boo all across the league before we start getting too big. I'm going to continue to say this until we get a sort of definite that there's not going to be any more uh, for the following season. This upcoming season, we're sticking with nine. But down the road, it's just 11's good for me right now. If you haven't heard, um, obviously San Diego is in, but the National Lacrosse League came out with a press release this morning. Uh, Bloomberg sort of beat them to it with an article that came out last night that Comcast has officially bought in to the National Lacrosse League for another reported $5 million sum. And they will play at the Wells Fargo Arena, formerly the Spectrum and Comcast and the FU Center. We don't know if they will be the Wings or not. I guarantee you 99.9% that they will be. They wouldn't have retained all the naming rights, the banners, the logos, the records, the historical purpose of the Wings. They wouldn't have kept that in Philadelphia if they weren't going to bring a team back and rename them the Wings. If they don't name them the Wings, there could be a riot. There's just too much nostalgia and too much history amongst that name, not just in the Philadelphia sports landmark, but in the pro lacrosse world. It's probably the most recognizable pro name out there. The Philadelphia Wings. It's got a good ring to it. It's got a fantastic logo. I doubt they change team colors if they go back to it. Silver, black with little red trim. Love it. And with the return of the Wings, it means return of Chopper. The return of the man in the black coat. Return of the Wings chant. The Sucks chant. And every time they go on the power play, a little GNR. late 80s when the Wings were really their dominant force when they were selling out that arena the silver and black attack was the talk of the town and every time they went on a power play or there was a big moment in the game and they started to play that song the place went bananas it's where I played my first National Lacrosse League game shout out to Dallas Elliott for somehow having that February 1st, 2002 game on tape and on YouTube so that I could go back and find my goal in my first ever game. But the Philadelphia organization was actually the organization, you know, I wanted to be drafted to just because of the history and the lore and the fan base and everything that surrounded that organization. I wanted to be a part of that. And... I saw my brother play a few games there and just fell in love with everything that 
encompassed the Philadelphia Wings and that I remember talking with Craig Rubzinski, the Rochester Nighthawks uh, PR guy. He's still there. He still does their play-by-play. Um, you all know he was my teacher in college, so it was a kind of a cool little mix for us. And so I just remember him interviewing me on the bench before the game, and he was like, what are you most looking forward to? And, you know, I, the stereotype, you know, I'm looking forward to get my feet wet, showing everybody I got a chance that I can play in this league. But one thing I was most excited about was that when they were going to announce my name, that everybody in the arena was going to chant, sucks, after they called my name. Just one of those little things that made playing in Philadelphia special. And I know some other rinks tried to pick that up. I know Rochester was sort of doing it for a while, and Buffalo kind of does it every so often. But it really kind of was a Philadelphia thing, and it just it was just a cool kind of experience, and it gave you a little heebie-jeebies and your hair stood on its end when it was just a loud, packed building. And the fans were so into it back then that I can't wait for this debut of the new NLL team in Philadelphia. Because they were, it was literally ripped from the hands of that fan base. Yeah, sure. The fan base was declining. The team wasn't producing. And because of that, the fans kind of stayed away. And in their tail end of their career, and the first stint of the Philadelphia Wings, it was tough watching some of those games in Philadelphia, especially when they were getting like Sunday afternoon games at 11 or 1 o'clock, and nobody was there. I have a feeling that when the Wings come back, and they better be the Wings. So I'm just going to keep calling them that. When the Wings come back, that it is going to be one of the best scenes in the National Lacrosse League this year. Because you are going to get a generation of fans that were at games when they were little kids and their parents were taking them to games and they grew up on the wings. Now those people are parents and adults and have kids. And you know that they're going to be like, Absolutely. We are going to watch that Wings game. We are going to see them return. It's my childhood. It was my everything. I can't wait. And it's going to be awesome. And those are the fans uh, that they're going to need. And I said that when uh, the news of Philadelphia possibly coming back sort of first came out. I said, whoever this new ownership group is going to be, and again, it's Comcast Sports, they need to rebrand themselves just like the Wings and start putting up hype videos of old-school Wings clips. Scott Gabrielson, Tom Ryan, Dave Stilley, Dallas Elliott, Jeff Snyder. Like, you can go through the years of the original Wings to the late stages of the Wings and find fan favorites and historical moments in Wings history and just show 30-second clips with Welcome to the Jungle behind it, the Wings are back, and you will have everybody salivating and lining up at the door to get tickets. I cannot wait. This is probably one of the best decisions uh, the new regime of the National Lacrosse League has made. Uh, I love the decision to go west to San Diego. I think that was a very needed exposure for the game. But to be back in an original city, to be back in Philadelphia... It was just a no-brainer and such a great move. 
and even better that Comcast is a part of it because if it was a quote-unquote mom-and-pop organization, I don't think it does as well as I believe it's going to do. So, Thursday will be the official announcement from Philadelphia. But there was one guy who was really diligent in his efforts to help bring the Philadelphia Wings back and the National Lacrosse League back to Philadelphia. His name is Barstool Jordy. If you don't know him, he's part of the Barstool family, and he is a lacrosseaholic. Uh, he had a tryout with the New York Lizards of the MLL, but he is a Wings fan, and he wanted his Philadelphia Wings back, and he has gotten his dream. He is a beer league hero, and he is our next guest here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. When I talked to Jordy earlier in the day, I just asked him what his feelings were like and what was the emotions going through his mind when he found out that Philadelphia was indeed getting an NLL team. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm doing about as good as I possibly can. I think uh, you know, I kind of put this right up there with the Phillies winning the World Series. It's one of the best days of my life. This is uh, a day that a lot of people have been wanting to happen uh, ever since the Wings moved. Uh, let's go back in time. What do you remember about that date four years ago when uh, uh, the Wings up and moved, or the franchise at least up and moved up to Connecticut? Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like, you know, someone like Tom Ryan came up and just punched you right in the gut, uh, <laughs> you know, once it was announced that, that they were moving. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Wings definitely had a couple, you know, slower years leading up to that relocation but i mean in their heyday there there wasn't a better ticket yeah. in this city than than to head over to a wings game so it's great to have them back now what do you remember about those old school days because i remember playing there in the early 2000s and it was it was you know sort of on the start of the decline of of the organization after they had won in 2001 but what was that city like and those teams like back in the day yeah i mean i i think that you know, you, you wouldn't get a better representation of Philadelphia sports fans than you would at a Wings game. Um, you know, the, the fans that were there, you know, it wasn't always a, a packed house, but the yeah. ones that were there, you know, they, they brought enough passion and energy to, you know, make it seem like it was, it was sold out. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, a bunch of savages in, in the, uh, in the stands, you know, people getting after it, um, you know, I remember personally, uh, you know, I was a little bit younger yeah. um, while, the, while the wings were still here. So I guess I was, I was just turning 21 when they left. Um, but the, uh, the parking lot tailgates for, for wings games, that was a, uh, you know, I don't want to incriminate anyone here, but uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to check IDs. That was, a, that was yeah, a yeah, for, yeah. you know, <laughs> people of all shapes and ages to, to get after it and support the team. So, um, you know, I, I think that the fans here are hungry to support them even more now. It's funny that, you know, you talk about, you know, you being a younger kid when the Wings were sort of first in their success. And, and as you got older, you're in your 20s when they left. But that's a generation of fans that this new Philadelphia team really has to go after. The the 20 to 25 to 45-year-old guys and girls that were Wings fans when their parents were taking them to games in the early 90s. Well, what was especially so cool about that, you know, um, you know, going as, as a kid is, you know, the, the Wings are, were one of the only, uh, you know, probably the only professional team in the city that you could go and watch guys that, you know, kind of grew up in the area. I mean, I mm -hmm. remember, 
you know, go, going to watch games and seeing guys like, you know, Tom Slate and John Christmas and Kyle Sweeney and Bill McGlone and Mike Buzza, um, you know, all, all these local products. Um, so I think that that's, that's something that was, you know, really special at the time. Um, you know, and, and obviously there, there's not a ton of Americans in the NLL right now, but, you know, the box game is definitely getting another boom uh, here, here in the States. And, uh, you know, it'd be great to see, you know, a couple young local prospects, you know, make their way up to the game. I know uh, Mikey Sowers was playing in some men's league box here this past summer. So, uh, you know, maybe he'll, he'll stick with that a little bit. Who knows? We always remember the Wings sort of being a, a quote-unquote Team America experiment in their sort of last days in Philadelphia. Do you think they go back to that, or do you think that they will try and, and sort of mix match with Canadians and Americans? It, it would be great to see them kind of stick with the Canadians just for a little bit, just to get the team established again, yeah. kind of get some, some winning ways going there. Uh, you know, it was, it was great when, you know, guys like Jake Berge were playing who were, you know, some of the – you know, one one of the best guys in league history. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, there's there's just not that many dominant uh, American box players at, at the moment. So you know, it'd be great to get Canadians in there. Uh, but you know, if if it's another team, you know, uh, you know, no disrespect to a guy like Paul Rabel, but he, he's not quite into the you know indoor scene. So mm-hmm. I, I think towards the end there, they were going a little bit too heavy on the Americans. Um, so I would like them, you know, to, to get get some winning roots back before they start, you know, trying to keep driving that Team America. Absolutely. Uh, you had a, a tryout with the New York Lizards. Do you expect to get an invite uh, with the Philadelphia team uh, maybe next October? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it's, it's an exciting time right now. <laughs> um, I think I put a lot of hard work into getting the team here, and I wish yeah. that I could celebrate. I wish that I could celebrate getting the team here, but instead, um, I guess every day from now until open tryouts will be, uh, you know, training and get my body right for that. When when you first so, heard uh, that the, the the wings were coming back, um, what was your first thought? What was the first image of a wings moment that came back in your mind? Oh, well, I don't know, you know, if, if anyone knows uh, Chopper. Oh, I think everybody the, knows Chopper. <laughs> so, I mean, just, just having a guy like that back in the stands, um, you know, that, you know all, all I think about is, the, you know, the W-I-N-G-S Wings chant, yeah. uh, chanting sucks after every guy on the opposing oh, yeah. team is announced, after all the refs are announced. Um, you know, so just that, that fan atmosphere, um, you know, that I think that this, this city's been missing for a little bit. You know, all that all that popped in my head, and that's that's when I knew that I had to be the guy to bring this team back, and I did absolutely nothing, but but it worked. If Chopper, the man in the black coat, and Scott Gabrielson aren't at this press conference Thursday, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, I, I, I was I was lucky enough to uh, to get an invite to that, so I'll, I'll nice. keep my eyes peeled for those guys. <laughs> well, it's a it's a historic day, and I think we all have you to thank for all your promotional work you did uh, with Barstool Sports to get the NLL back in Philadelphia. Are we going to see more stuff from you uh, on Barstool? Are we going to maybe see El Presidente at a game with a stick in his hand soon? Uh, I, I can't speak for, for Prez, but, uh, you know, I, I do, right now I have, uh, you know, I'm trying to get uh, lacrosse a little bit more 
in the spotlight at Barstool, uh, you know, starting up a new uh, Twitter, Instagram feed. Hopefully that'll turn into a, a podcast as well, the crease dive. Um, so I, I think, you know, the game's growing. So I, I figured that, uh, you know, presence on Barstool has to grow too. So I'm just, uh, you know, just trying to do what I can to grow the game. Well, keep up the good work, my man. Uh, you are a huge part of the return, and uh, I know we'll be hearing from you more. Jordy, I appreciate your time, and uh, congratulations on the Wings coming back to your hometown, my friend. Very much appreciate it. Let's go Wings. That probably won't be the last time we hear a Let's Go Wings chant here on this show. At least I hope not. Seriously, if they don't come back as the Wings, it's a catastrophe. I believe they're supposed to be having a quote-unquote naming contest. But I truly don't understand why. There is only one option here. They are the Philadelphia Wings. And they should be known as nothing else. They shouldn't have any other colors, any other logo. W-I-N-G-S, Wings, Wings, wings. And who knows? Maybe we can get Lee Felsmo to come out of retirement and call great goals like this. Rochester, about nine short of Philadelphia, who's put a lot of pressure on O'Toole. And a lot of those are transition. Here comes transition right now. It'll be Buzzle. Buzzle, one-on-one, looking for rope. He can't get it. He hits a pipe with a follow-up shot. In by Radcliffe. It's a two-goal lead for Philly. I'm super stoked. I know a lot of people are really excited. Uh, Steve Govett was posting pictures of him in a Philadelphia Wings jersey. Paul Rabel was all over it. Um, Brody Merrill did a great article uh, for with U.S. Slacks magazine, I believe, um, about the return of the Wings and just what it means to this league and to the sport. Um, it, it is going to be fantastic. And uh, I want to thank Barstool Jordy for coming on. I didn't think that would actually happen. I just kind of shot him a random message, and he's like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm hopping on with the LSN guys first, but then I'm all yours. I'm like, cool, man. And the the dude's hilarious. Like, you can go watch some of his videos on, on YouTube or on Twitter and just a guy that loves the cross, and, and I know he's going to be – I can guarantee that that guy is going to try out for the Wings. And who the heck knows? It would be a crazy story if he did make the team. Um, but what it does mean is we'll get some great video out of it. And that's always a good thing. And the more exposure um, through, you know, new generational sports media like Barstool, uh, Bleacher Report, uh, the stadium, all those things, the more we can get into those avenues on social media, the better. And, and Barstool Jordy, as he said, he's going to try to come up with a podcast, the crease dive, and um, the more the merrier, I think. And like I said, this is a time where the National Lacrosse League has to be careful. Uh, they are doing the right things. They just can't go too fast. I think two teams is great. San Diego and Philadelphia is a good starting point for the commissioner. Let's give them some time to build, which they are going to do over the next 15 months or so. And then they will be officially into the league. So that's pretty sweet. The other big lacrosse story and truly it's the only active lacrosse story and that's the man cup um it's just crazy that sometimes um news like philadelphia or san diego 
kind of takes precedence. And not that I'm putting the man cup on a back burner or not, but this allows me to just talk my little heart out about what this series has been about, uh, some of the ins and outs of the series, and just how great it has been. Again, this is going to be game four tonight, which is Tuesday night. Uh, Peterborough trying to get back all level at 2-2. The Salmon Bell is looking to take a 3-1 stranglehold into game five Wednesday, which could be the decider. And imagine that. Imagine if the Bellies win and can put the Lakers on ice. That would be something. Then you'll see a good crowd for game five on Wednesday. And for the last three games, there will be a good crowd. Five, six, and seven, as long as it goes, whoever, however long it goes, whoever's up, whoever's ever down. Um, once we get to game five, we'll start to see some bigger crowds. That is, unless Peterborough ties it, then game five is just the first of a best of four. Nope. Best of three. Good math, Ted. And Wednesday will be the third game in three nights. So there's still a lot going on here in the series. And we've had uh, great goaltending from Alexis Bouquet. Uh, I kind of think you might see Matt Vince start in game four tonight. And when I spoke with Mike Hazen after the game on game three, he said they were going to sleep on it. Uh, they have been rotating goaltenders pretty much the entire year. But Matt Vince has looked the steadier of the two goaltenders in the three games that we played so far in this series. Um, he was fantastic in game one. He was great in relief in game two. He was just as good as a starter in game three. And I know they want to keep Kirky and Vino fresh. And I know they want to kind of keep New West guessing with which goaltender is going to be in net and, and the shooters will be guessing. But I just think Vino might have the edge here. So it wouldn't surprise me to see if you see him get the start in game four tonight. It's going to be Bouquet no matter what. In between the pipes, the bellies kind of started to give him a rest near the end of that game uh, as Ty Belanger was doing the sprinting work back and forth from the bench to the net as Newest was going six on five late in that game. And they were able to get it to within one, 13-12. And if they had another 30 or 45 seconds, they might have forced overtime. But Steve Goodwin, the head coach of the bellies, was happy with the way his team played. He just... One of those games where the bounces didn't all go their way. He felt that Peterborough was finally adjusted to being out on the West Coast. They've been here for a while now, and they're a little more settled in. And that they were going to make adjustments, and they'll be prepared. Conversely, on the other side of the ball, Mike Hazen, he too was happy with his club. Offensively, he felt they shot the ball better. Defensively, he told me that they were better closing gaps and getting sticks on hands, not allowing the newest shooters clean outside shots. And the one big thing, and this was pointed out by a few people on Twitter after I pointed the stats after the game, was that Peterborough finally had outshot New Westminster. And the likes of Dixon and Evans were finally really starting to work that two-man game, and they took over that game late. And if New West is going to be successful, they're going to have to try and limit those opportunities for Dixon and Evans, especially in the two-man game, because they're just so good at it. Speaking of Evans, Sean Evans, that is, he's tied for sixth with his brother Scott at 121 points. But he is still, I think, 15 or 16 points away from fifth place, which is the legend Colin Doyle. 
But if the series continues to go the way it look, it's looking and Evans is playing the way he's playing, he could get there by the end of this series. I posted that, you know, he'd been averaging just about four, 5.6 or 5.4 points per game uh, throughout the entire season. Then it would take him all seven games to sort of get to that number five spot. I thought getting uh, to a tie with his brother Scott was the easiest of the challenges for him, and he did that in just three games. But if he can crack the top five, it would just continue to cement him as one of the all-time greats. And the fact that he's as small a stature as he is, like smaller than John Tavares, and able to do the things that he does at the level that he does, at the consistency that he does, is incredibly phenomenal. And it's just such a treat to watch Sean Evans compete and battle and just put it all on the line every time he is out there on the floor trying to do everything he can to help his team win. And he was a man on a mission in Game 3, just as Kevin Crowley has been for the New Westminster Salmonbellies. He continues to put up big numbers. But leading the way in the tournament scoring is Mitch Jones. He's actually tied with Logan Schuss. They both have 19. Crowley has 18 points. Then Evans and Dixon at 17 and 14, respectively. Jones leads the tournament in assists with 14. Crowley leads the way with nine goals. And Adam Jones has taken the most shots at 31. And he scored six times. This is, it's funny because I got a message from somebody who felt that they were concerned with the future of the game because there's no quote-unquote stars anymore. And I was kind of taken aback. Like, sure, no Gates, no um, no Doyles, no Grants, no Sandersons. But look at the names on this list right now. Mitch Jones is an up-and-comer. Logan Schuss has proved himself a top-level lacrosse player. Kevin Crowley, Sean Evans, Curtis Dixon, not much else you can say about those guys. Those guys are all top-level superstars in this game. Just because these players don't have the name recognition as some of the greats, they are the greats of today. This is a new generation. With Grant, Doyle, Sanderson, Tavares, with all those guys, Sean Williams, all those guys now retiring, that pretty much ends the era of the guys who played in the 90s. We are now moved on to the next millennium of lacrosse players. This is now an era of people who started playing lacrosse in the 2000s. And we are going to see, I don't think we'll ever see anybody touch John Tavares' record, but I think we're going to start to see some guys really make a name for themselves. And some of the young players, I almost said young people, some of the young players in this league right now and the generations of kids that are coming up through the ranks are going to be even better. Now, they may not put up the numbers, but they are going to be superstars in their own right. Look at a guy like Connor Robinson for New West. He just finished his final year of junior. He will end it as the all-time leading scorer in New Westminster Junior Salmon Belly's history. He's tied for third in goals in the Man Cup with six. He has been a steady force with the New Westminster Sandbellies 
in these playoffs. That is the future of the National Lacrosse League. A guy like Danny Smith that got a chance to play with Victoria during the playoffs rose onto the scene. Not many people even knew who he was and became an instant household name. Wes Berg is one of those new generational guys that's coming through. This draft of Josh Byrne, Zach Courier, Chase Fraser, Tyler Pace, these are names you're going to be hearing about for years to come. And because a lot of the older generational guys didn't go to college or didn't spend four years before they got into the National Lacrosse League, some of those guys were able to make more names for themselves because they were on the bigger stage longer. Well, this is a new era of lacrosse. It is pure athletes, guys that are just becoming naturally gifted and talented lacrosse players that are act and like fully focused on becoming true athletes. Not that the older generation wasn't, but just look at all sports, how much bigger, stronger, and faster every sport has gotten. And lacrosse is going that way too, and the talent continues to rise. And while we don't have Gates, Tavares, Doyle, Sanderson, Grant, we have all these other fantastic names at the top of their game. And I can't see how people can complain because the generation that is playing lacrosse right now is going to be remembered for a very long time. It's a new era, a new wave. And I truly believe that people should sit back, relax, and enjoy the show because it is going to be a great one from here on out. Because as I said, the talent is only going to get better. And by the time these guys are getting into the NLL, they are going to be more prepared, more physically in shape, more mature, because they're not coming into the league as 19-year-olds. They're coming into the league as 21, 22-year-olds. That's a big difference. And so the future of our game is in really good hands. So for all the people that think the sky might be falling, don't worry. It's not. Before we get out of here, let's uh, just get some news and notes from the National Cross League transaction wire. Uh, Vancouver Stell signed Brandon Goodwin to a one-year agreement. He's having himself quite a man cup. I think he's got four goals in the first three games and has been a real spark out of the back end. For the Stealth, Goody has spent time with, I believe, Buffalo and Calgary uh, before being released. Now he's on a one-year deal with the Stealth. Uh, the Roughnecks signed defenseman Kevin Newfeld and Vaughn Harris to one-year deals. Buffalo signed Don Moss to one-year agreement. And the Rush signed goaltenders Adam Shute and Peter Dubensky to one-year deals. So that's the National Lacrosse League transaction wire. Uh, again, Thursday will be the press conference that many have been waiting for for quite some time. Philadelphia will be back in the National Lacrosse League. Nick Sakevich will be there. The president of Comcast will be there. Tyson Geick from the NLL will also be there. And it's going to be a very, very special day. Like I said, we don't truly know the name yet, but all signs point to them being the Philadelphia Wings, which is a great thing because that's what they should be forever and ever and ever. That'll about do it. Don't forget, Game 4 of the Man Cup goes tonight, Tuesday night, 7.30 Pacific time. Game 5, Wednesday, same time, 7.30 Pacific. They'll take a day off on Thursday, and if necessary, 
Game six and game seven go Friday and Saturday. I, I have a, there's there's no doubt in my mind this thing's going six. No doubt in my mind. That'll do it here on the show. Um, been a crazy week. Last week we had San Diego. This week, Philadelphia. Maybe another team next week or in a couple more weeks. Man, Cup. It's the peak of the lacrosse season, and it's just starting to come to an end. But don't worry. With the start of the National Lacrosse League season under three months away, there's not going to be a whole lot of rest for some of these bodies. The draft goes Monday. Combine is over the weekend. If you're in the Toronto area, you can get out to the track and take in some of the events. Please do. Um, And NLL TV will have the Wings, sorry, the Philadelphia Presser. So stay tuned for that. And in a week's time, we'll be right back here on this show talking all things lacrosse. Thanks to Barstool Jordy. Thanks to Mike Board. As always, thank you to you for stopping by and listening to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com or at Off the Crossbar. Until next Tuesday, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.